Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. What's it like to go viral for wearing a wedding dress at the age of 94? When I walked out of the dressing room and looked in that mirror, I said, who is that lady? How about going up in a World War II biplane at 97 years old? Yeah, these planes are so light, they blow you all over. And why does a 101-year-old lobster fisher think people are so interested in her? They probably think I'm crazy, I don't know. (laughs) Do you think you're crazy? No, I do what I want to do. And what's it like to be 105 years old and setting a record for running? I like the feeling of being on top. <laughs> and I hate to let anybody get ahead of me. I'm Kyone Wolf. Meet some audacious elders. That's right after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. I just turned 41. If I'm lucky, and I guess define lucky, but if I'm lucky, I'm a tad bit past my middle age. And you know what? That scares me a little bit. I exercise, I eat right for the most part. I just started meditating, which, whew, I highly recommend it. But I don't know what shape my mind and body are going to be in if... I make it to double my current lifespan. At 82, will I be strong? Will I still be curious about the world? Will I still have my wits about me interviewing people for Audacious? What'll life be like if I make it to 92, to 100, to 105? Well, today, you're going to find out what kind of life that can be. You'll meet four people between the ages of 94 and 105 who live up to the challenge and the opportunities of living a long life. Let's start with the youngest of the bunch, and then we'll work our way up to the oldest. At 94 years old, Martha Tucker of Birmingham, Alabama, went viral for wearing a wedding dress. Hey, Grammy. At the time of her wedding in 1952, she wasn't allowed in a bridal shop because of segregation. Her granddaughter, Angela Strozier, wanted to make that right. Angela joined her to tell the story. I started off asking Martha how she met her late husband, Lehman. Oh, we grew up together. We were childhood playmates and ended up a sweetheart. Now, what was it about Lehman that made you want to marry him? What was he like? Oh, everything. Everything about him. Handsome? Yes. Smart? Yes. Loving? Yes. Generous? Yes. Funny? Everything. (laughs) Everything. But I I didn't think I would ever be his wife. Why not? I just didn't think that he would go ever want to marry me. But we came up all the way from childhood. How did he propose to you? 
He did. <laughs> we just got married. Tell me the story about your wedding day. How did it go? Well, he told me to get dressed to go to, we were going to a movie. But uh, when he came to pick me up, he just kept going by the church, in and out the church, because his friend was supposed to been joining us to go to the movie. So I asked him, I said, why you keep going to the church? He said, I'm waiting on, on this, we waiting on his friend to, uh, and his girlfriend, so we can go together. I said, well, we were going to the movie. He said, no sooner the BTU is over, that's Bible training Baptist, union. Baptist training union. Baptist training union. No sooner it's over, it said, uh, he'll be out. So he never did came, come out. So it was getting dark. And then when we we went to the pastor's house, I went in the door and I thought I was going to await. It was so many flowers in there. So when I got in there, they told him, him to go down the hall. He went down the hall and then the pastor and him came up the hall and caught me by the arm. And we married in his room in his house. What were you wearing that day? I was wearing a navy boot. At that time, I called a uh, common Jones, but it was a, made like a mermaid dress, like a fishtail dress. <laughs> and uh, he was wearing a pair of white pants and a yellow coat. And a, they called them big alpha hats that time. <laughs> so he threw me off. At that time... It wasn't even really an option for you to go to a bridal store and try on a dress and pick up both because you were surprised at the wedding, but also you weren't welcome in stores like that. Um, no, you, you go in no store, not only that. How did it make you feel to not be able to go into any stores, let alone a bridal store? Was it, what it, was it as infuriating an idea then as it is now? It was worse to me. It really was to me. And I knew I couldn't go, so I didn't even attempt to go. But the lady that I was working for, I gave her the money. I had saved up my little nickels and dimes to get that one dress I wanted out of that window. And she went in there and got it from We wore the same size. Skip forward a few decades, and Angela, you were watching a movie with your grandma. Will you talk about watching Coming to America and and how this idea came to you both about this dress? Coming to America is one of her favorite movies. So anytime she sees it on, we're going to watch it. Uh, we know the monologue almost by memory now. <laughs> but this time, it got to the wedding scene, and... She threw out the line, I want to try. I've always wanted to try on a wedding dress. I didn't have one when I married. Well, that was news to me because we've always been told that the earlier pictures of her and my grandfather was destroyed in a house fire. So I just assumed that any wedding pictures or anything it was was destroyed in a house fire. I've never asked any question about the wedding day or the wedding, or, or the wedding dress out of all these years. 
So when she said it, I asked her, I said, are you for real? And she was like, yeah. I said, grandma, we can make that happen. And she kind of gave me a look like, yeah. I said, if you want to go try on a wedding dress, I'm going to take you to go try on a wedding dress. David Bridal allowed you to register for appointments online. And so I scheduled it for a couple of days, which was that Saturday at July 3rd at 1.30. So I told her, I said, okay, grandma, we got a date. And she kind of gave me the side eye. She thought I was joking again because she and I joke a lot. So I said, I'm serious. I said, we're going to get your makeup done. We're going to do the whole nine. And she was, mm, okay, okay. That's what she was, okay. I said, all right, Saturday, you better be ready. So about 10 o'clock Saturday morning, I called to make sure she was up. And I said, okay, we're going to go try on a wedding dress. So the rest is viral history. <laughs> <laughs> now, Martha. Yeah. When you walked in to David's bridal in Hoover, Alabama, what were you feeling? I was feeling great. I was feeling like I was going in to really get set up for my wedding. And one dress faced me when I went in the door. I said, that dress got my name on it. So you knew right away that's the dress. Will you describe the dress? It was low cut and had long sleeves. And uh, the, the, the design was gorgeous. I just really can't go through with it. I also saw a picture. You had a garter belt on as well? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, they put me on a garter belt. <laughs> And it's beautiful, too. Now, when you looked at yourself in the mirror with the gown on and the garter belt, what were you thinking? What were you feeling when you saw yourself? When I when I walked out of the dressing room and looked in that mirror, I said, who is that lady? <laughs> I, that lady looked good. And then that turned on everybody. The ones who were in that dress, really trying on dress to get married, they got excited at me. But uh, I just, it just looked like I was getting married. <laughs> if Lehman was there, what do you think he'd say? Oh my God, there is no telling. <laughs> there is no telling. I just, I, at that point, I wish he had been there. Angela, this was a really nice thing for you to do. Thank you. Why did you do it? Well, besides her being my role partner, uh, we, we get in a lot of trouble together. But one thing or one reason why I did it is because my grandmother has always sacrificed for us. So to hear something so minute that was on her bucket list, it was just something easy to do. It um. And I guess I was more motivated to do it, well, because she shared it with me. Out of all these years, she has never mentioned it. So it had to be on her heart for her to finally just say something. And we believe in if you speak it, it can come to pass. So she spoke it out loud. I was able to make it happen. And I did it because just out of love. That's all it was. It was for a day. Uh, I won't say a day of celebration. 
it was just a day of fun being dealing with just staying in the house in reference to the pandemic trying to keep her active because as you can see she's full of life so having her stuck in the house all day every day is not something that she likes to do so to find activities to keep her just entertained and full of life so that was my gift to her because she's always given to us. She, she, she gives from the heart. So that was a heart gift. And to make sure that she got something that she wanted. Because she's always made sure we had what we need. This video went viral. <laughs> uh, what kind of reactions did you get from people? I can't even explain that. I don't even know how. Well, first we had to I... explain what going viral was. <laughs> <laughs> That was the first thing we had to explain to her what going viral was. And so now that she's had the opportunity to speak to people and to tell people her story from literally across the world, um, she's had interviews yourself up in Connecticut. She's had interviews in, with someone in Brazil and Atlanta, California. She has had multiple interviews. So you all have created a viral diva. Don't you agree? I agree. I have enjoyed the scenery and I have enjoyed all of the interviews, but I never thought this was going to go this far. I just wanted to try on a wedding dress and see how I would have done. And I found out if I had had on everything that, that go with it, ain't no telling. <laughs> Did you feel as good as you looked? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a reception and I had a, a honeymoon all that day. <laughs> so let me give you the backstory. <laughs> yeah, fill me in. <laughs> so honestly, it was supposed to just been a 30 minute outing. Go try on the dress, but we got her makeup done that morning. My cousin, who's a makeup artist, she came down and did her makeup in the car because uh, she has trouble walking upstairs. So she was glammed up for the occasion, but none of us knew that she was going to force us to give her a reception afterwards at Applebee's. Ah. <laughs> <She> Where else? <laughs> There's no other place like in your friendly neighborhood grill. So she forced us to give her a reception at Applebee's. We love Applebee's. And then we went to, because she's a sports fanatic. So we had to find a TV where she can sit in front of and watch that um, Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks, that final game. And it was a lot. For 30 minutes turned into a 16-hour day. She had us out all day long. It was after 3.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Martha, okay. <laughs> so she's not shy. When she goes out, she goes out. She's not yeah. shy at all. And what she wants is what she gets. So she's spoiled and she loves attention. So. <laughs> Well, Martha Tucker and Angela Strozier, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you for having thank us. Thank you for talking to, to us. And it was nice meeting you. You can see beautiful photos of Martha and her wedding dress on our website, ctpublic.org slash audacious. When we get back. You're able to 
lived through this uh, 97 years is it's just been remarkable. We have lobsters about once a week. So that never gets old. No. A World War II veteran and a woman who's been hunting lobster for 93 years walk into a radio show. Plus, what's a runner's high like when you're 105? I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today you're meeting people who've lived a long, long time and have a lot to say about it. Later you'll meet a woman who set a record for running the 100-yard dash and a woman who, I'm guessing, is probably the world's oldest fisher of lobsters. But right now, I want you to meet Dr. Lou Harned. He's a 97-year-old World War II veteran. Later he'll talk about how he was recently honored by an organization called Dream Flights, with a ride in an open cockpit Boeing Stearman biplane. Lou also has a tradition that means a lot to him. For the past six Memorial Days, he's been making sure that flags are placed on veterans' graves and cemeteries near his home in Madison, Wisconsin. I asked him how all that got started. I give credit to that to my daughter, Linda. What she noticed was that the country uh, cemeteries, and they've been there a long time, the churches are gone, but on Memorial Day and Veterans Day, there were never any flags put out. And she knows there had to be veterans there. So knowing my daughter, she calls the uh, county supervisor and wants to know how come there were no flags ever put out there. And the, and the gentleman said, well, I'll tell you why. He said, number one is we don't have money to buy flags. And number two is I don't have the personnel to put the flags up. And Linda said, well, I have flags, and I can get my dad to help put the flags up. And he said, be my guest. So we started six years now we've been doing this. And uh, we, we've now got a 4-H club from one of the high schools that have volunteered to come and help us. The last uh, two years now, I've been able to wear my, or the last year, I've been able to wear my uniform. We had uh, one of the local uh, police from uh, Janesville who lives in Milton, Wisconsin, which isn't too far away, but he came and blew taps this year, which was something that we've never done before. And that's sort of how it all started. And we're going to continue to do it as long as I can still be around. When you button up that uniform how does it feel i'll tell you how it felt it, i was I, again very proud to have my oldest great great grandson there and he's old enough now to realize a little bit what's going on when we were out there putting the flags in <laughs> Nickleby came up and noticed my ribbons on, on my chest and so forth. And he said, Grandpa, he said, what What are all these ribbons? Well, most of them I, I remembered, but a couple of them I couldn't tell him. But anyway, but he, uh, little Jack is four. He could, all he wants to do is play and run. But uh, we're not teaching history like we should be uh, in our schools anymore. And, and I just 
I, I just feel I just wish I could live to watch my great great grandsons grow and I could be with them or talk to them about what it meant to be in the service. But I won't be around that long. I remember talking with someone about Veterans Day a while back, and they were saying, you know, the best way to honor veterans is to make sure that there are never any more of them. So true. So true. But, uh, you know, wars are horrible. Some of them are necessary, but something to have gone through, what, three, and uh, still be alive. I'm very honored to have that happen. Will you tell me about the Lou Harned Society? And it, it's such a coincidence that there's a, a group with your name on it, and it involves Scotch <laughs> whiskey, of all things. Tell me about this important group. Well, I'll tell you about it if you'll tell me uh, about your, uh, you're a judge of the chili contest. What? Are you kidding? You did research on me? <laughs> and, and, and the other thing that really impressed me was the fact that you played the bass drum. <laughs> the trash can bass drum. That's, that's true. That's, that's fantastic. Well, listen, let me tell you about the subject. Our Rotary Club is one of the largest in the world. And you, you can't get to know everybody. So we have fellowship clubs. Uh, just about anything you want to do. It's skeet shooting, ice boating. And we have the Lou Harden Single Malt Scotch Society. And we meet every other month. And uh, it's single malt. There's no, uh, no bourbon. There's no wine. And, no rye. And... We, we try to find something that's uh, a little different as far as the type of scotch. To be single malt scotch, it has to come from Scotland. And we have talks once in a while on scotch and uh, how the tastes vary and so forth. And we just have a good time. Well, you are talking with a founding member of the Hartford Whiskey Club. Really? Oh, for him. Yes. And we do a similar thing where we enjoy a different kind of whiskey, or maybe we have a theme on it. Like, it was all whiskeys with presidents' names or presidents' likenesses in, in the label or in the, in the name of the whiskey. And so I salute you. I raise a glass of Macallan to you. Do you have a favorite whiskey, a favorite scotch? Oh, yeah. I mean, one of my favorite scotches is Belvini. Oh, yes. And, and that comes in different casks. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the Caribbean cast, 12-year, and uh, that's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could show you my cupboard here, open the door up. <laughs> I, I wish I could see it in person. <laughs> I'll bring my own glass. There must be 11 different bottles of scotch in there right now. <laughs> and we have a piper. He comes to Rotary and plays a song now and then for us uh, prior to our meetings. He would come to our scotch parties with his re Scottish regalia. And one time he brought a drummer and another piper. So the three of them played uh, at our scotch party. And we just have fun. 
You know, I got to tell you, one of my favorite things in the world is a person in a kilt. Have you ever had a kilt? Have you ever worn a kilt? No, I've never worn a kilt. No. Come on, you've got plenty of life left. I've seen, I've seen <laughs> enough of it, but I, I don't have the knees for it. <laughs> so recently, you took a plane ride thanks to Dream Flights, which honors World War II veterans by treating them to a flight in an open cockpit Boeing Stearman biplane, which was the same aircraft used to train many military aviators in the late 30s and early 40s. Tell me everything. I, <laughs> they were worried about me getting into the plane uh, after I'd broken my hip, my left hip. So this is, this is an open cockpit biplane, and uh, I had a, a female pilot which was exciting. Andrea, she was a sweetheart. We took off from the uh, Janesville Regional Airport. Beautiful day, but the storm quickly came up and we had a a wind. And these planes are so light, they blow you all over. Not to be worried, uh, but she... You were in good hands. Yeah, and she was... We, we couldn't communicate with each other. I could, could I, I, I was listening uh, to the tower, but I could not communicate with uh, Andrea. But we had a big mirror where I could see her and she could see me. And the only uh, communication we had was, if everything is going okay, thumbs up. If we're scared or we're sick or we just want to get the hell out of there, thumbs down, okay? Well, anyway... The wind hit us a little bit and blew us around. She decided, which I didn't disagree with her 100%, we should land. So we did. But it was it was tremendous. This, this was more exciting. Oh, I tell you, it's, uh, it's been a great life. I'd like to hear more about the big picture of life. You know, I mean... I hope I live to 97. I hope I live to 120 as long as I, you know, <laughs> am not incontinent and have my wits about me, right? I mean, I just want to hear from you what it feels like to be in this era of your life. Like you're in a special spot. So how does that sit with you? How do you hold on to being 97? Well, you'll never know what an honor it has been to have lived this long. You're able to live through this uh, 97 years is it's just been remarkable i've been so so happy and so proud and i've lost a couple of my kids and that hurts and my wife but uh, i'm still around and still enjoying life as much as i can i love that your disposition is sunny like you seem like a kind happy person and You've also experienced, as you said, quite a lot of loss. And I wonder what you've learned from that loss. How has that loss shaped who you are? Well, I'll tell you, it's awfully hard. Uh, My son had passed away. It was Christmas Day. That That was pretty hard to take. And then my oldest, my firstborn was a, my oldest uh, daughter out of the three, and uh, she was my badger. Oh, she loved uh, sports, and she was left uh, left-handed, 
and she could play baseball better than a lot of the boys. And she probably should have been my boy, but we, we just, we just enjoyed life. And, uh, uh, she passed away. It'll be, uh, two years, November. So sorry. You never think you're going to bury your kids. That's number one. And number two is enjoy the time that you had with them. Favor that. <laughs> you can't, you can't let it uh, destroy your life. I mean, let me put it this way. I love my kids. I, I'm sorry that uh, it didn't work out the way you would have liked to, to have happen. But the time that we had together was priceless. Never be forgotten. It's something that I'll cherish till the day I die. And uh, they'll continue with it too. They'll, they'll remember their old dad. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Thank you so much, Lou Harned, for talking with me. Well, Kyle, I'm so happy to have met you and thank you for listening to some of my, my tales. I probably talked too much, but uh, it was a pleasure for me. Thank you and uh, good luck to you. When you picture someone fishing lobsters, who do you picture? Maybe some old guy with a gray beard and a Yellow raincoat. Trust the Gordon's Fisherman. Okay, now stop picturing the Gordon's Fisherman and start picturing Virginia Oliver. Because I don't think that Gordon guy has anywhere close to the years Virginia has on the water where she's been catching those Rockland, Maine lobsters for 93 of her 101 years. So I got connected with Virginia and her son Max and asked, how early you got to get up to catch all those lobsters? Well, I get up at quarter of three, then we have to get aboard the boat and get a bait. And I have filled the bags. The bait bags? <laughs> I just like getting up in the morning. Every morning to get up is a good morning. Yeah. So let's talk about lobsters. How do you feel about lobster? Do you enjoy eating lobster after 93 years of catching them? Oh, yeah. We, we have lobster rolls about once a week. So that never gets old? No. <laughs> How do you prepare a lobster roll? Well, you, you have to cook it and pick them out. I just put mayonnaise with it. Mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. That's a very important ingredient. Yeah. Some people put celery in stuff. If I'm going to have lobster, I want lobster. <laughs> and mayonnaise. <laughs> What's your favorite part of the lobster to eat? Well, all you have is the tail and the claws, really. All there is to it. <laughs> so in your 93 years of fishing lobster, what have been some changes that you've noticed? Well, when I started going with my husband, there wasn't any... Women used to go, is that me? And now there's, you know, quite a few of them. How does that make you feel? Well, 
I say go for it. <laughs> so I saw the documentary that they made about you, Conversations with the Lobster Lady, and there were some scenes where you were just looking out onto the water, and it looked like you were lost in thought. What are some things that you're thinking about when you are just on the boat gazing onto the water? Well, I don't think much about anything except lobster. <laughs> Wait a minute. So maybe you can write a book, Zen and the Art of Lobstering, about being here now with the lobsters on the water and not thinking about the past or the future, you know? No. Now tell her about the accident you had. Oh, my son-in-law likes crab meat, so I was saving crabs for him. And the crab bit my finger, and I had hit seven stitches in him. Seven stitches. The doctor said, well, what are you out there lobstering for? And I said, that's because I want it. And I said, I'm old enough to do what I want to do. You were old enough to do what you wanted to do when you were eight years old. <laughs> you have been getting so much media attention lately. How does that feel? Well, I've got kind of used to it. <laughs> what do you think people are curious about with you? What is it about you that is exciting people like me? What do you think? I don't know. They probably think I'm crazy. I don't know. <laughs> do you think you're crazy? No. I do what I want to do. <laughs> That's my life. Anybody do anything they want, I don't care. There, as you know, there's a photograph of you with your hand outstretched and a lobster, and it looks like it's floating in midair. And this photo has gone so viral that even Mark Hamill, who, of course, was in Star Wars, retweeted it, saying the force is strong with this lobster woman. Will you tell me about when you when you first saw that, that that he said that about you? What was that like for you? Oh, I don't know. It's a routine thing I, that I do all the time. Yeah, but this super famous guy, the star of Star Wars, is thinking about you. <laughs> what? I guess so. <laughs> Virginia, you, you laugh a lot. Is humor an important part of living a long life? Yeah, that's just the way I am. <laughs> Do you think it helps with longevity? Probably. Because you've been around for a long time, you've probably had a lot of really good times, but you've definitely had a lot of pain and sorrow and struggles. For those who are going through difficult times now, will you share any advice you have about getting through difficult times? Well, you just have to do what you have to do. Something happens and anything, you just have to go along with it. Nothing you can do about it. It's just life. Don't take it too seriously? 
If I moved to your street and you invited me over for dinner, what would you make me? Oh, well, probably lobster if I was lobstering. <laughs> <laughs> lobster rolls and mayonnaise? Yeah, and I toast my roll. You toast the roll. And a lot of people don't toast them. They just eat them in rural, but I like mine toasted. Do you have any tattoos? Yeah. If you were to get a tattoo, like if you had to get a tattoo, where would you put the lobster tattoo? Well, probably on my leg. <laughs> would it be a big lobster? Would it be little? Yeah. <laughs> the length of my leg. The length of your leg. <laughs> Now, would it have the rubber bands on its claws or would it be free? <laughs> I'd have to have that tattooed around that too, so that would be banded. <laughs> Virginia Oliver, thank you so much for talking with me. Well, thank you. I'm glad to talk with you. After the break. You just feel like you're on top of the world. Run. The oldest guest on today's show, 105-year-old Julia Hawkins on setting a record in running as a centenarian, her love of bonsai trees, and the song her husband left her with. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. So come on, take a bite and eat with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. The oldest guest in our show featuring Audacious Elders is Julia Hawkins. She's 105, and she made headlines for setting a record in the Michigan Senior Olympics for the 100-yard dash. Plus, she's been in Sports Illustrated three times. And there's a lot more to her than that. But, hey, that is the hook. So I asked her, how did she get into running? So my son registered me to run in the state race. And I thought at 100 to do a 100-yard dash under a minute would be neat. And it was neat. And I did enjoy doing that. It's not so much how fast I go. I'm not as into the records as much as I am being a trailblazer for the older ladies and encourage them to come out and try. And if I could start running at 100, maybe some of them could. I've all, if you had to have been active, your legs have to be strong, and I, they were strong from biking. So it was just a matter of shifting gears a little and doing the, and I always like to run, and I've just always been doing things in a hurry. I like a hurry, but I also like the idea of being ahead of everybody else. I like the feeling of being on top and ahead, <laughs> and I hate to let anybody get ahead of me in running or biking or whatever it is. 
but I love I love the idea of keeping going. I understand that sometimes when people run, they experience what's called a runner's high, where they're just sort of transported somewhere else. Do you ever feel yeah. that when you're running? Will you tell me what that yes, feels like? I do feel that. You can't make, give a name to it exactly, but you get exhilarated when you're running and you want to go as fast as you can and do the best you can. And uh, somehow you get, I guess that's what you're talking about, that thing you get. It gives you a little extra oomph to get going faster. You just feel like you're on top of the world running. Running is not the only thing that you're into. It's not your only hobby. Will you tell me about your bonsai trees? If you love trees, having a little one you can hold in your hand and look at it and watch how it's growing and make improve on it. So you decide what shape you want it to be and you keep it that way. But I have a lot of other interests. I'm birds and flowers, wildflowers in particular. Seeing a beautiful flower or a hummingbird or a sunset or a shooting star or a gorgeous spider web with dew on it, things like that that are free in nature out there for us to explore and enjoy. That's the kind of thing I recommend. Get out there and enjoy the world that God has given us. And uh, particularly now with the storms and the COVID and everything, we need to look at the good side of things and think how lucky we are, how wonderful the world is. You've been around, of course, a really long time, 105 years. And I know you get this question all the time. And I think you're alluding to the answer now, but what advice do you have for people who want to live a long, healthy life? What are people doing wrong that they should start correcting? It's strange you should ask, but what I believe is if you marry a good man or a woman, one that you love as well as like your best friend and you admire and respect him, then you live a long, happy life because you'll be happy all the time. If you quibble and have trouble in a marriage, and then you can't be happy. You can't enjoy what's wonderful out there. But consider that very carefully when you do get married, that you know him well and that you uh, can trust him. I'm sorry that you lost Murray, your husband of 70 years. When But he lived to be 95, and for a man, that's pretty good. Everywhere I look in the house now, I can see him. And I'm going to stay there till the bitter end. We're giving our, our bodies to science. I like that idea. I love that idea. And, and I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. I wonder, because you've lived a long time and you've had a lot of joy in your life and, and humor and inspiration in your life, you've also had a lot of hard times. And so thinking about loss, I'm wondering what advice you have for those of us who are struggling with loss and grief in our lives. How do you get through those times? 
Well, what helps is having family and friends to help. You can't do it by yourself. You need all the help you can get. And you need help from above also. I felt like I've always gotten that, both from family and from above. I feel I've been very fortunate in that respect. You've talked about magic moments before. Will you tell me more about what you mean by magic moments? There are some that are a little unusual. Like one time I saw a little, we have a sugar kettle with water in it and plants, and it's a beautiful addition to the yard. And I go there often, I fish in it, and I feed the fish. But one day when I was there, this creature came out of the water, a little spidery-looking thing. It's the larva of a, of a, a something else, and I, I knew that, and I watched it, and pretty soon it sat on a little, little limb, and his back opened up, and first one wing came out, and then another. Before you knew it, he was sitting on the, the limb, waving his wings, and he was a mosquito hawk or a dragonfly. Beautiful creature. And to see that happen is a magic moment. Or to have a compliment by a friend, or to hear a beautiful piece of music that you had never heard that just captures your Love of music is a famous, fabulous thing to have. And I am lucky to enjoy that. And um, there's so many things out there. There's a shooting stars. We don't get to see the heavens much anymore because of so many lights. I remember trying to find a place where it was dark enough to see them. But... Um, get out where it is and study the heavens they're worth waiting for and looking at. So what's next for you? That's what I wonder too. <laughs> I feel like the, the last great mystery of our lives is our death. So then we'll know all of what's out there and what's coming next and, uh, so that's the mystery I'm interested to know about. And I'm waiting for that. And I don't feel like it's going to be far off. I hope it's not. Do you know how you'd like to die? No. <laughs> I hope it's like my husband did. I, he, the night he died, he sang love songs to me that night. And I was there in bed with him and knew knew he was there and was aware of everything he did. And I never heard him cry out or anything. But I heard a sort of snoring, and I got up and tried to rouse him and couldn't. And I, So then I called 911, and he, um, they took him to the hospital, and he never regained consciousness. So I feel like he died sort of in his sleep, and that's a good way to go. But we had a great life, and I feel like he went a good way and had a good time, so I'm thankful. 
I felt very reassured all through my life. Do you think you'll see him again? Yes, I feel sure I will. I have a pillow that my daughter-in-law gave me that has his picture on it, and I sleep with it every day and talk to it. And just when I look at it, his, his face changes a little, gets his eyes come out sort of. And um, I tell him what's happening and ask for his help and tell him and I love him and miss him. And I sing the song, All of Me. Why not take all of me? Can't you see? I'm no good without you. <laughs> My husband used to sing it to me. He had a good voice and he sang a lot. Julia Hawkins, thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. If you want to read her book, It's Been Wondrous, The Memoirs of Julia Wells Hawkins, and I know you do, we'll have a link to it on our website, ctpublic.org audacious. This show is produced by me, Jessica Severin Martinez, and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. Subscribe to Audacious, and you'll always get to hear the show a day early. Plus, you can listen back to shows featuring things like what it's like to be a 99-year-old, record-setting, policy-changing, World War II fighter pilot who's also transgender, and relationship advice from people who've been married for over 50 years. And thanks for leaving that review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps people find us. Send me your reactions and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Wolf, And my email is cwolf at ctpublic.org. Thanks for listening. Oh,